Audio conversation with Alan Abadessa Green, recorded Thursday, December 1st, 2011. Alan played the role of editor in a book that is a collection of essays titled The Sync Book. Uh, there's 26 authors that contributed to this book, and uh, Alan is one of them, and it speaks to a, a sort of, I don't want to say a modern form of synchronistic research because that makes it sound a little formal. Uh, there's something kind of hip and kind of uh, youthful about the content of this book that I think makes it all the more prescient in our era. And when I say that, I guess what I'm implying is that uh, presently we live in a world with bloggers and people commenting on synchronicities in I guess what amounts to a more youthful way than what a dry academic would say. Um, and, and I don't know if I quite fit into the youthful aspect of this, but I certainly uh, resonate very strongly with the contributors to this book. Alan is also an animator and an illustrator and a novelist. Uh, I will put a link to his uh, blog, All the Happy Creatures, here in the show notes. And I'll also link uh, a few other audio interviews that he's done recently, uh, one of which is on Red Ice Creations, which is a podcast series that I respect really greatly, and, and uh, he, he was a very good fit there. Uh, I, I almost don't want to take up too much time here doing the intro, because uh, we cover a lot uh, very cleanly in this interview. And I also want to say that, that Alan and I dig pretty deep into this subject, and, and we do it in a way that kind of surprised me. It comes across as sort of powerfully optimistic, and and I didn't expect that going into the interview, and uh, you can hear me, um, oh, I don't know, about three-quarters of the way through, kind of go like, whew, well, uh, I don't have any more questions to ask, because uh, we're not going to top that, which is true. Um, we, uh, we, we both sort of hit a, a stride, and and uh, the arc of the conversation hits this really beautiful high point that, uh, as as my role as interviewer, I, I just didn't think we'd be able to top or be able to go higher. So um, this interview runs about an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, all of it is great. Alan has a very profound set of personal synchronicities that he shares. And I think as far as I can tell, he shares them for the first time on on this uh, podcast series. I don't even think he's written about them. But um, I have to say they are a very tidy fit for the format of of my podcast series here. Just, just the nature of the synchronicities kind of uh, jump the tracks of what would be run-of-the-mill synchronicity and uh, the bizarreness of what he shares is exactly the kind of thing that I deeply deeply love. Uh, this interview uh, was a delight, and I encourage anyone listening to this to search out the book as well as Alan's blog and uh, the website specifically meant for the book. And the book is titled The Sync Book, and it was published on, of all dates, September 11th. And that would be September 11th of 2011, just, uh, just a couple of months ago. This was a great interview, and, and I don't want to waste any more time here. Let's get right into it. Here we go. Hey, Alan, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Oh, thank you, Mike. I, I, I love your show, and I'm, I'm really happy to be with you, talking with you today. So. Great. Well, uh, one of the things that I focus on is uh, synchronicities, and you just published this book called The Sync Book, 
and um, which is you played the role of editor and there's 26 authors including yourself in this book and um, I just am curious what the genesis of this book was oh uh, really really started innocently I mean uh, I had been working on a novel for a little over a year of I, okay so you know, off and on over a year and I finished it I guess February 2002 uh, 11 and basically I I'm a I'm an artist who as soon as I finish something my immediate thought is okay what next um, you know like all right what what's my next project uh, just I don't know I just sort of need to stay busy or something I don't know and uh, but I I've been working uh, doing a sync blog for over a year and been interested in synchronicity been following other people's blogs for so long and just following this line of thinking and I was like, you know, this would be interesting to do a, a book on this topic. But ultimately, I think synchronicity and what many people consider synchromysticism, it's also so very personal. And there's so many different interpretations because it's so personal that I thought it would be silly for me to just put out a book, hey, this is Alan's idea of synchronicity. I thought that would be really silly. So I was like, the only way to do it right would be to have a bunch of people laying out their theories, their experiences, and present that that sort of overview. I thought that was really the only way to do it. So I sent out an email to just a few people that I was kind of close with, and it kind of snowballed from there. Great. And and then you published it on September 11th, 2011. Mm. And that's sort of a, a resonant day for obvious reasons. And um, why did you pick that day? Are you familiar with uh, Jake Coates's 9-11 Stargate uh, videos from years ago. Oh, yes, very much so. Yeah, so, I mean, it was sort of, in some way, a nod to that. I mean, so, 9-11, and I, I spoke to these guys, 9-11 is still, aside from the obvious reasons of how it's sort of shaped our world, uh, particularly as Westerners in the last 10 years, but I think particularly uh, the alternative research community has been bolstered by this event, for, for better or worse, obviously. Um, but if it was a catalyzing event, in, in, to, you know, to use that very loaded language, not only did it ignite a, much more of a police state, but it also ignited much more of a, a quest for people to figure out what the heck is going on in this world. And through that, I think... Uh, a lot of us started our journey because of it, and I thought it was nice to sort of pay respect to that in one way and also to see where we've come in 10 years since. Yes, very much so. Yeah, I'm familiar with uh, a handful of the authors. I don't have the book. You sent me uh, some excerpts. How did you get a hold of each one of them individually? Did it just happen organically, or had you, were you familiar with each one of these folks and their work before you started the project? Uh, most of them I was familiar with their work. Uh, and of course, as I was getting close to finishing it, I mean, and even now, you know, people are coming to me, oh, why didn't you have this guy? Or, you know, what about this? And some of these names that are being thrown at me, I don't know. And people are like, how do you not know this guy? But there's so many people doing wonderful work that I think it's impossible for us to all know each other uh, or be, so the great thing is we're always discovering new fantastic researchers. So in one sense, that's great. On the other hand, it's, uh, it makes something like this kind of an impossible task. How do you get everybody 
that you'd want in there or everybody that's relevant to the subject. But most of them I were, was familiar with their work and uh, I would say maybe about half of them I was on a com conversational uh, terms either that were commenting on each other's blogs or emailing back and forth and things like that. It really strikes me that this book is, is sort of a, a, a creation of you know, modern times where everyone has a, has a blog and everyone is, is writing online. And, and I just think that the, uh, oh, the dialoguing about synchronicity has changed in the last decade with the advent of the, of the Internet. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and obviously, it's, I think it's changed the dialoguing about nearly everything from cooking to um, synchronicity to Fortean topics. I mean, you know, you just you name it, and obviously, there's a, a dozen websites and forums devoted to the subject, and people can really dive into anything. But for some of these more fringe subjects, I think it's a lot more helpful because these are the things that previously, whereas you could have discussed cooking with uh, family, friends, or, or neighbors, you know, back in the 50s, you probably weren't discussing synchronicity and UFOs with just about, you know, anyone. Uh, you had to find that sort of one weird guy like you and hope that, you know, you could talk about it. Uh, and I think as times have changed, and certainly with the Internet, we can seek each other out and we can find people who think, hey, you're not crazy, you know, you, you ha you're onto something here, and we can actually develop uh, in a place of non-judgment, and I think it's wonderful. And you use the term um, synchromysticism, which is a term I love. It just gets so great. It just it sums up something so perfectly. Uh, how do you go about defining that term? Uh, you see, that's a funny term because... Uh, so, so Jake's the one who coined it. I'm going to let him define it. But there's so many people who either define it differently or don't want to be associated with it. People who say you know, they don't want to be considered with that term because of how it's been defined elsewhere. And in the sync book, in Jake's chapter, since he's the one who's coined it, let me just see if I can find this real quick. He, he says, oh, okay. He says, synchromysticism is a name I started using to describe thoughts about synchronicity in 2006. Quote, the art of realizing meaningful coincidence in the seemingly mundane with mystical or esoteric significance, end quote. I used this summary on an old blog site to try and encapsulate synchromysticism. I still see it used on new websites today. Nothing is essentially wrong with it, perhaps too slippery on the brain and open for misinterpretations. This is likely also its strength as a catchphrase. I hope this current document, and here he means his chapter in the sync book, clarifies or at least confuses in the right direction the continuing process of creating a better understanding of the phenomena of synchronicity. On the internet, an ever-changing community of people have come and gone, associating themselves, willing or otherwise, with the word. Great, great. Um, hey, let me share one little story with you. And, and uh, it's funny because, you know, it's talking about synchronicity is kind of like talking about uh, dreams. You know, it doesn't really work unless you actually talk about the synchronicity itself. Um, mm. uh, a couple days ago, uh, after we spoke on the phone, we talked, I guess it was Sunday night, I think. 
Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, so so uh, after then, uh, the next or some, sometime earlier this week, I stumbled on a website called OwlPod, and this is is a place that it puts a collection of of, uh, of podcasts online, and I uh, figured, well, heck, I've got a podcast, I can just add mine to it. So I um, sent the little feed to the guy, and I had one little question, so. I um, you know, emailed the web host there, and it's just one guy who's running the site himself. And he emailed me back, and I said, "Hey, you know, my uh, my podcast is all about owls and synchronicity." And then he replied back, and this was on the 29th of November. He replied back, "It's all very synchronistic. In fact, I've just started reading the Sync book." Huh. Wow. So, and then I, oh, well, so there you have it. There's a, a tiny little synchronicity that somehow even gets uh, owls into the picture. So. Well, it's actually funny. I have a few notes here for uh, what I wanted to sort of bring up with you, and one of it was specifically owls. So I mentioned that I there are a few of the guys, uh, guys and girls that I email with regularly, um, mostly from uh, this group blog that uh, I'm a part of called The Mask of God. And uh, we, we email back and forth, and something that we've been really harping on, and this is, uh, I think, pretty wide within the synchromistic community, is the Occupy Wall Street, OWS, as owls. We've been referring to them as owls, um, which I wanted to sort of bring up with you as to what your interpretation of that might be. But uh, So we've been talking about this, and this goes in different things, and it's something else that has been uh, pinging a lot for us is uh, Paris. So there's this sort of weird French connection. Um, so someone points out that in... I think the actual Greek definition of the word Paris, I'm probably butchering this and I should look it up, but um, Paris translates to backpack. And I, so I mentioned, well, guess what? I, uh, so we were talking and everyone's talking about backpacks and backpacks and owls. And I said, you know, it's really funny. I just uh, got an invite from Mike Cleland who uh, it does a, a show about where he seems to focus on owls, and of course, he's written many books about backpacking. So you seem to fit just right perfectly into the conversation there. So. Yeah, it's now. Do you sense that this is happening more lately, um, as if there's some sort of where we, we collectively, as like the planet, uh, you know, almost as like sliding into a more heightened and resonant part of the galaxy or something like that? Like we're actually being like collectively zapped with cosmic rays and, and these mm -hmm. synchronicities are, are happening more often now? I mean, that was going to be my question for you, honestly. I mean, to me, I w my question is owls seem, and we could take it from a mythology standpoint, right? Owl is Athena. It's this sort of wisdom. So we can look at this almost as this sort of, um, almost like a Pentecostal revelation, right? That the owl is, is bringing you a gift of wisdom from the gods. But you also seem to connect it with this ET contact. Uh, if, if I don't know if we, we want to use the word ET, but... Um, it's as good as any, sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Thank you. <laughs> Just to simplify, we'll call it ET contact uh, or, or, uh, or higher contact. So I was wondering what if, if Occupy Wall Street, and obviously we can... I have my criticisms of it in my uh, to be honest, a sort of lack of faith in that it's it's the thing to to watch. But at the same time, um, the idea that this seems to be spreading so widely, I was wondering if now we are having owls everywhere, 
OWS <laughs> for having these owls everywhere. I was wondering if you thought that might be indicative of a large-scale quote-unquote contact. You know, I don't know. I did notice right away that the the acronym for you know Occupy Wall Street to the eye visually looks just like owls, and then when you try to pronounce it, owls, it, you know, it sounds like you're trying to say owls. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure what the owl thing means. So I'm very cautious to try to to try to name any of this stuff. Um, the only thing I can actually say as far as a you know the the only rule I have for synchronicity is to pay attention. Um, mm. And then if you try to go any deeper than that, you know, you, you might end up, you know, seeing something that might not be there. Yeah, it's, I'm with you. It's just a, you know, in one sense, it's sort of just a thing to observe. In another sense, it's almost like just a chuckle. <laughs> I don't mean to trivialize it, but at, at, at some level, it's like, okay, Occupy Wall Street owls. You know, it's, it's, you get a chuckle out of it. But I do think in all these things, we have this play playful trickster element where it's okay to get a chuckle out of it but that doesn't mean that doesn't you should you should still pay attention obviously yeah very much so there is a sort of playful aspect to the synchronicities that i've experienced and and i'm thankful for that you know as opposed to um you know having it manifest as something scary or dark the synchronicities themselves have been very delightful and the way i seem to try to define uh synchromysticism um, maybe maybe less that that term, but um, you know, and I've talked to people about this where I've I've made a very real effort in the last few years to use synchronicity as as a as a signpost on my life path, mm -hmm. um, as a way to uh, proceed forward. You know, in my uh, sort of internal decision making process, and and it has forced me to make some some pretty bold decisions, and each time I do that, I'm I'm grateful and thankful. Same here. Uh, you know, when, when talking about this, so synchronicity is one thing, but I think if there is a mystic element, if we want to make it synchromysticism, I think ultimately it's best applied as a compass. And, and I think that's great. So if, you, if you're using it as these signposts, I'm, you know, it's the same sort of analogy or same metaphor that we're following these kind of breadcrumbs uh, and then allowing synchronicity to say, hey, by the way, look over here. I think, obviously, that requires a really good, a really good filter, a really good common sense as well. Um, and I, I just want to throw that out there because I had spoken to a guy. I'll tell you a quick story. I spoke to this guy. There's this guy in my neighborhood who, who talks to me, and um, he... I've never spoken about synchronicity or any topic that I'm interested in for a number of reasons. Um, he, he happens to, to work for the police department, uh, and I just don't really want to get into alternative <laughs> research with this guy. But um, every now and then, we'll, you know, we'll smoke a cigarette and have a cup of coffee outside of a deli and chat for a few minutes. And uh, he mentions to me... I was watching TV the other night. I think he was watching like wrestling or something. He's like, I was watching TV, and then this commercial comes on about taking out a loan. And that commercial ended, and then the same commercial came on a second time. And I thought it was a sign from God that I needed to take out this loan. So I called right away. And I just looked at this man, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm telling everyone to follow synchronicity as a compass. 
And I, obviously, I never said it to him, but I don't want people making mistakes like that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, obviously, maybe in the big picture, it was the right thing for him to do. But yeah, who knows? He may, like, you know, he may, it may be the greatest, you know, decision he's made in decades. Sh- sure. So I, I probably shouldn't put judgment on it, but I do think, I don't know. I just feel like there, you need a certain amount of, of common sense, um, as well to, to know what is synchron, you know, what, what is synchronicity? Or can we at least narrow down which synchronicities? Uh, and I almost hate to, to do this. I find myself sort of torn between the, the Jake Coetze sort of everything's meaningful and the Chris Knowles, you know, really be choosy about your synchronicities. I find myself sort of straddling the fence between those two camps. Um, and I think ultimately I do think everything is important. And I think all of I mean, life is just so full of synchronicities and meaning that I, I find myself very drawn to Jake's line of thinking. And at the same time, I think we do need to be a little choosy if we're going to use it as a compass so our compass isn't just spinning wildly. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. One of the things I've done is made an effort to post you know, all my real-life synchronicities on the blog. And in doing so, you know, it, you know, obviously some of them I think can be dismissed outright. But I don't want to be the one to make that decision. You know, I'm putting the one. I'm putting them all up there, regardless of how they, um, you know, how, what you know, what resonance they have or how they play out. You know, and some of them are just like, well, you know, I saw an owl. You know, and and I'll just I'm just going to post it. You know, I kind of made an effort to say that I was going to post owls, and so I saw another owl. And I'm just going to post it. And, and then other times, those owl sightings are very, very resonant. They feel like the context in which I saw them have layer upon layer, uh, and it takes you know, a little bit to sort that out. Uh, and, and it's interesting, if I was to publish this in a book, I probably wouldn't include all of that stuff. But I think there's something about the blog format that it, that allows, uh, it's just got a, it's just got a, it's not as heavy as like mm. a, as like a, you know, uh, academic tome. Correct. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's actually uh, interesting. I mean, this is, I was up last night thinking about this is, that basically I've been doing my blog is almost stream of consciousness. You know, I'm just sort of spilling my guts. Uh, if something's there, I, I put it out. Um, and I've been looking back over my my blog and noticing that if I wanted to, just sort of extract the, the, the really juicy stuff out of it, um, there's, I guess there's two ways, just as a sort of a, a writer, I, I'm considering, should I have been editing myself in the first place and just posting the juicy bits? Um, I don't know. I, I Sometimes I think we, I like the blog format because it allows us to just sort of gush onto the, you know, gush onto the page and then look back at it later and maybe you find a gem in there that you would have tossed out or you would have forgotten about otherwise. So to me, I, I, the, sorry, the, the blog was really meant almost as a synchronicity journal at first and that was all that was actually on the advice of Christopher Knowles um, I had been commenting on blogs for a while and I was getting a little fr- to be honest I was getting a little frustrated of like okay I'm writing this huge long comment or I want to make a long comment I have much I want to say um, but I didn't want to slam people's comment sections I didn't want to be that guy and then I was just like, you know, 
just be easier for me to write my own thing. And I was sort of playing with the idea, but I had a lot of projects going on. And then Christopher Knowles put a thing up saying, hey, listen, everyone should be doing a sync journal. You know, he's like, It'll, you'll really, if you do it and you write down your synchronicities, you're going to notice and you're going to pay attention um, and you'll be amazed at the results. And I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to try it. And uh, so it really, for me, was almost like that journal, just documenting them as I go. And it's funny you should say that. I'm online here. I'm scrolling down on my blog. And on the right sidebar, there's a picture of Christopher Knowles. And it says The Secret Sun. And it says, Christopher Knowles says, keep a dream log and a sync log starting today. Keep track of your dreams and the synchronicities you observe or experience. And then see if by the end of the year the two logs haven't become one yeah and that's posted right i mean that's like a permanent little little sort of thing on the side of my blog and that's that's the way i link directly to uh to the secret sun and it's interesting chris has been documenting his synchronicities and he doesn't talk about them but it sounds like he's had like a staggering amount he like he you know he he can't even use like you know accolades grand enough to talk about how many synchronicities he's had over the last decade or so so he's been doing that yeah and then that was very much the the same thing with me that little quote from him was I was basically me saying, you know, well, screw it. I'm going to put every single one of them down there. And strangely enough, going back and looking at them, uh, I find very few of them are easily dismissed. And some of them, you know, the ones that I thought were sort of silly and, and not that exciting, um, you know, actually turn out to be gems. Correct, yeah. And, I do, and I mean, one of the things is just I worked in advertising, and if I am going to write something, you know, I, I just make an effort to keep it short. Uh, just if someone is going to, you know, wade through some of my less exciting synchronicities, um, you know, no need to make it a 1,000-word essay. <laughs> yeah, precisely. But I, I think the quote, the, the Knowles quote on your blog is, is actually very profound. The, the implications of it, I think it's, well, A, I think it's great advice, and B, I think the implications of the results that we're able to pull. And I agree with you that even the small synchronicities come back because when they pile up, you realize, okay, it was a little thing here and a little thing here, but this little pattern has been following me. Yeah, I saw an owl once and I saw an owl again, but why am I always seeing owls? Uh, or something like that. So, um, But the, the implications of the fact that your dream life and your waking life start to blend together, you know, I think so many people are looking for lucid dreaming but in this sense it's almost like uh, lucid living <laughs> so many people aren't even living life they're not experiencing a magical existence if, if we can use those terms this is like uh, I, I don't know I guess my, my thing is the implication that we can cross those two worlds is staggering yeah, I mean, it's it's. I talked to Micah Hanks, who's a podcaster. Who he wrote a book called "Magic Mysticism and the Molecule," and um, talks about paranormal experiences. Very much a young Fordian, and he, uh, when I spoke with him and interviewed him, I said, "So, you ever have any you know paranormal experiences happen to you?" And he says, "Nope, not a one. Never, never had anything." I said, "Oh, that's interesting that you're doing this type of work and and." Uh, you know, you don't have that. That's, you know, that's not the pattern I see. And a little later on in the conversation, um, 
you know, the topic of synchronicity comes up and he goes, oh my goodness, I have had so many synchronicities. I have synchronicities all the time, one more profound than the other, and they're always relevant to what I'm doing. And then I had to go like, wait a minute, you said you weren't having like uh, any paranormal or mystical experiences. And here you are saying you're having synchronicities. And, and, you know, how else would you define a synchronicity as something, you know, paranormal or uh, mystical? And you could, you could sort of, you know, you could hear him sort of backtracking and the little bell went off in his head. And then he has, uh, he has since gone on to reference that, you know, my calling him on the fact that, you know, he was denying synchronicity, their sort of magical do, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I think that's why a lot of people interested in synchronicity also do start to study um, specifically magic or different schools of philosophy, esotericism, etc. Because, you know, you're trying to figure out if there is some, let's call it a, some terrain that's already been mapped. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, and synchronicity does seem to fit in really nicely with all these other things. Um, and if anything, sort of shows the commonality between them all. Uh, I think in such a profound and personal way that it's one thing to be, uh, you know, do comparative mythology from an academic standpoint and say, oh, look, I studied this tribe in the Amazon and they have a similar myth. I mean, that's a nice academic study and it's, it's you know, worth the time. And at the same time to have the profound experience that shows you, no, they are way more connected than you could ever imagine. Um, certainly brings it all home in a nice little tidy wow moment. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I see on these like sort of modern synchronicity or synchromistic blogs is sometimes I just get a little lost where it's where it's, uh, you know, one JPEG after another after another, these images and these sort of cryptic little funny connections that's made. And I, and I actually have to say that I enjoy those kind of things. They're, they're kind of playful and fun. You know, there's that line where I think with the advent of the Internet, you can just type in a couple of words and then just get flooded with images and without too much effort, you know, start making these kind of connections. That to me seems to be almost like a hipster blogger, synchromistic kind of playful fun. And, you know, it's almost like almost it turns into sort of a beat poetry in a way of our present modern times. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I like that. I like that and I don't like that. I mean, if we're going to study this as a real, if we're going to call it synchronicity, it better be synchronicity and not just uh, an internet algorithm. You know, I don't want, I, I don't want someone to say, hey, look, I typed this word into Google and these are the images that came up. Look at all these connections. Well, you didn't make those connections and they're obviously not profound to you. They're somehow profound to, to Google. Um, so in that respect, that, that kind of bothers me. But uh, on the other hand, the idea of putting them together into uh, weaving a new narrative, there are some people who are thinking of this as uh, sort of beat poetry or even uh, remixing. It's like a sort of DJing. Uh, specifically, I know Jen Palmer, who writes for Reality Sandwich and who is in the sync book, she often thinks of it as remixing. Also, uh, Libby and Sybil, one of the uh, sync book authors, has a great blog. Um, they they think of this as remixes, and it's sort of like all media is fair game, and as is reality, and we're taking out little bits here and there, and just sort of mixing it together into a new narrative. 
and I'm, and that aspect of it I really like the art, the artist in me appreciates that and I also think there's sort of a profound quality in that where we're reappropriating all these symbols and all this media which I ultimately think we need to do so uh, again a little tor torn on that that use of it but I think if it's used the right way or at least you know if it's going to be playful great but if someone's just going to type a word into Google and say, wow, look at all these crazy synchronicities. That's, you're not really experiencing synchronicities. Wait till something hits you in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and you're like, holy God, what, how is this possible? That's, that's, that's the synchronicity. Now, it's funny. I just started to, I'm working on a post right now that it's like got a life of its own and it's getting longer and longer and longer. And I've, I realize it's going to turn into one of those, you know, hipster remix of images but it but i recently saw uh the original planet of the apes with charlton heston mm -hmm. and i was struck by how similar it was in some of its themes to 2001 a space odyssey mm -hmm. um, the beginning uh, of the beginning of planet of the apes starts where they you know they they seem to go through sort of a psychedelic wormhole in the credits in their spaceship and then the end of 2001 ends where they go through a psychedelic wormhole in their spaceship and uh, both of them in, in there's a little clip in 2001 where the uh posterized uh you know heavily uh you know they had applied some sort of psychedelic effect to the to the footage but they're obviously flying over lake powell in in utah and um that's where the astronauts land in Planet of the Apes, they land in Lake Powell. Uh, so there's like, it was like, that just struck me. I was like, wait a minute, they're like, they ended up at the same place. And then I realized that they were both, and I got to look up my notes here, but they were both released in 1968, and one was released on April 8th, and one was released on April 10th. Wow. So, See, I didn't know the, the Lake Powell connection, but uh, I had also noticed that. I mean, you can even look at the fact that the astronauts, right, in 2001, the astronauts that are in stasis all die, right? Hal kills the sleeping astronauts. And the same thing in Planet of the Apes, where Charlton Heston is the only one to live while all the other astronauts are held in stasis. So uh, there, there's that. Yes, there's the, glass, the glass tubes that, they, that, are, that they're in, yeah. Which, you know, one could argue is almost like a, just a niche of its time, right? You know, this idea of imagining space travel and all this sort of stuff. But I think it becomes more profound when you realize both Dave Bowman and Charlton Heston are the only two to sort of make it through. And both of them make it through into a sort of time loop as well, where Charlton Heston finds himself back in time, back on Earth. And uh, Dave Bowman also finds himself in a loop where he ages and then is sort of reborn as the star child. And, and then uh, ends up back at Earth, yeah. Yeah, so there's, there's this commonality there and on and on. I, I even think, um, to me, this is going in a different direction, but I mean, I watched the first Planet of the Apes again. I've seen it many times, but only a few years ago I watched it again and it immediately hit me that it seems like the original Planet of the Apes is an ancient astronaut narrative explicitly. Um, even to show Charlton Heston almost, he, he, you know, thinks of himself, he says when he lands, we can be gods here. And he, when he goes into the stasis chamber, he lays his arms across himself almost like a sarcophagus, like he's in a, this Egyptian figure descending onto earth to be the new god to all the primates there. Uh, it's actually pretty interesting if you look at it that way as well. 
Yeah, and then it just went on and on and on. And there's a, there's an Outer Limits episode called The Sixth Finger. Um, it's a was from 1963. And uh, are you familiar with the Outer Limits, the television show? I'm familiar with the show. I don't think I know that episode. This one's pretty famous, but anyway, it it also deals with uh, evolution and uh, scientist in this little village is tinkering with with this machine that looks you know not unlike the the sarcophagus uh, suspended animation chamber out of both 2001 and planet of the apes and uh he in his in his office he has an ape that he has uh, uh used this machine to change the evolution to extend the evolution of the ape so there's sort of a funny scene where the ape is helping uh you know file things for the scientist which is exactly what happens at the beginning of 2001 the apes go through a, an evolutionary process at at the foot of the monolith where they are actually changed and, and ushered into a higher evolutionary state and then uh, also in this episode you know, one of the characters enters this chamber and goes through a series of changes and eventually turns into this, um, oh, you know, it's a pretty corny bit of makeup, but he, he ends up with this giant bald head, uh, not unlike the, the star child that returns to Earth, how Dave Bowman reappears. So here's this, this other science fiction thing that has, uh, you know, apes in an evolutionary change. It has uh, people changing to a higher, you know, the modern human changing into a into a higher evolutionary state, and that's being symbolized by having a big head and being bald. And um, so there's all these little resonant things that are that are uh, connected to this silly black and white science fiction show from 1963. So I'm throwing that into the mix too. And all of a sudden, I, you know, like all these things are, are piling up and this blog post is just getting longer and longer and longer. And I sort of came to the realization that, that it was turning into one of those posts that, mm-hmm. uh, that I tried to describe, one of those remix posts. Which I, I think is wonderful. And I think you should pursue that because there's so much there. And if I can offer you, even consider what a lot of synchromystics do is, you know, we're kind of creating composite characters. Now, you can look at Charlton Heston. He plays Moses, right, the bringer of the tablets. So what is he doing? He's bringing down these stone slabs from, quote-unquote, God to usher in the new age. What is uh, 2001? Of course, the monolith is this godlike, alien-like technology slab that is ushering in this new age. Uh, obviously, I don't really feel that. The, the, the mosaic laws, to me, are not... <laughs> beneficial uh, for the most part, uh, but we could maybe make the same argument with technology. R- regardless, it's not a judgment call to say the idea of Charlton Heston again playing that same uh, role, if you will, I think is pretty interesting. Um, and now I noticed you just put something up which is very ne- a subject really near and dear to my heart, this Tucson, Arizona shooting. I saw yes, you- yes, and I just was about to say that, yeah. No, please. I want uh, if you want to introduce what you were talking about there. Well, you know, one of the things that has happened here, I found out that um, that there was a doctor on the scene when Gabriel Giffords was shot, and the doctor who just happened to be shopping at the Safeway uh, and attended to the little uh, nine-year-old girl. His name was Doctor Dave Bowman, and mm-hmm. that is how. Um, you know, he's listed in the credits is Dr. Dave Bowman in 2001, and that would be the, the character that Kier Delay plays. Uh, and I just thought that was so strange. And now this girl, this nine-year-old girl, was born 
on September 11th, 2001, which is very strange. And, and I actually even made a little note uh, on uh, the Secret Sun Facebook page when I had posted this, you know, uh, I just thought that was so odd. And then I even said, like, wow, well, you know, like, you know, if someone named Taylor shows up in this whole thing, you know, like, I'm going to eat my hat. And, uh, and sure enough, I just, I just, this is where I did it. I went ahead and Googled Taylor. And then, and then the girl, her name is Christina Taylor Green. Mm-hmm. And so here is, you know, someone named Taylor. Like, you know, basically I just kind of asked in jest, thinking that it would never show up. And then it was the very girl that uh, this Stargate resonating man as God, uh, Dave Bowman, you know, he's he's helping none other than Taylor, the, another person that, you know, goes through the Stargate. Obviously these, these connections are sort of silly on one level, but at the same time, What's the term? They're very seductive. You know what I mean? They they they're very they very much draw you in. And let me I mean, also add that Gabriel Giffords is married to an astronaut, and both you know Dave Bowman and Taylor were astronauts. Co- correct. Yes. Yeah. the 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 Gabriel Giffords story has amazed me, and there are elements of it which uh, I know a lot of people are taking this as some sort of psyop um, or a stage event. I think there's certainly aspects of it that seem very fishy and yet there are it seems to tie in so amazingly with all these other things that it would take such profound if it was I have to be careful how I say this because I said I, I, I even saw in, when you, you posted that on the Secret Sun Facebook page, people saying, "Ah, oh, it's a you know this is obviously a, a ritual, a staged event," and other people saying your connections your connections were nonsense. So this is probably a longer conversation, but suffice to say, from my research, and I've been following this since it happened, I haven't let the story go. I think there is so much to this story that it seems to be a sort of linchpin in into a bigger mystery, and it. It, so it's not to say that certainly there could be aspects of it which are staged or this guy, his name, of course, Jared Lee Loner. You know, I mean, the, the last name <laughs> sort of tell, tells me right there it's, it's that, that it, it almost seems silly. You know, the names are almost comical. Um, and yet there does also seem to be this strange esoteric story at work here. Um, Jason Barrera, one of the uh, sync book authors, has made the point that another person who was killed in that shooting was Judge Roll. So he sees this as Judge Roll is the the Torah. Is if you look um, the we often think of this as the high priestess, that the the sort of lawgiver. So again, this mosaic Moses figure of the bringer of the law. He literally the Judge Roll or the Judge Scroll. You know this sort of um, this law. If you look at the high priestess tarot card, you see that the uh, Torah is is a scroll that she's bringing the law, or she holds the law, so that he's killed uh, that day. So it represents the killing of that figure, as well as the wounding of this high priestess. Now you can consider Dave Bowman something that the sinkhole guys have focused on is that Dave Bowman's initials DB in numerology would be 42, something that's often associated with Jupiter. And of course, Dave Bowman travels to Jupiter in 2001, A Space Odyssey. If we want to take another little uh, numerology leap here, uh, her name, the the young girl who you mentioned, her name is 
uh, Christina Green, right? Christina Taylor Green, yes. Christina yes. Taylor Green, right. So now, obviously, she doubly resonates this death and rebirth by her name being Christina. She's she's a Christ figure. So Christ, of course, being the figure that was died and reborn. And then her last name being Green, something I myself can uh, understand. Uh, Osiris is the green man, who Osiris is the same figure who dies and is reborn. I, I see Osiris and Jesus as being very interconnected figures. So here she's Christina Green, but even if we want to play the numerology a little bit, her initials, uh, CG, would be 3-7. And if you know any Kabbalah, that 777 is sort of the lightning flash of creation. Uh, this is a bit heavy esoteric stuff here, but uh, suffice to say, there does seem to be a very intense mystery play uh, being told here, and whether or not someone wants to argue that's uh, you know a ritual, some sort of sorcery ritual by Illuminati elite, I, I don't see it that way. But um, uh, but the, the language is the, you know the, the information is definitely there. You know, I've spoken about this with Christopher Knowles, and and um, you know, there's two ways to you know when when let's say when a uh, uh, a movie has all these resonant um, factors in it you know two things can happen either the the script writers are really smart they sit around their table with their uh, with their lattes and they say let's you know let's sneak a whole bunch of you know Egyptian mythology into the script and I think that there's some movies that do that quite openly there was a movie the the movie with Will Smith where he plays the superhero and Han Han Hancock, yeah, yeah. Han that movie. Yes, thank you. You know, so that I think was done overtly. You know, like all those little bits of symbolism were put in there on purpose. Uh, but there's other movies that where they where this symbolism just seems to emerge, and you know, who knows where it came from? And um, and you know, on one level, it would be kind of interesting if it was a you know a bunch of sneaky scriptwriters you know slipping this stuff in into the dialogue and into the the narrative. But on a on a more interesting level, if this stuff just wells up from the from the grand universe, from the newosphere, if it's just if this just seeps in automatically, uh, especially in events that have a powerful resonance, um, and I think of 9/11 in that sense, where where like it doesn't take much digging to realize there's all kinds of nutty synchronicities associated with that event, and and that event obviously had a profound global resonance to, to pretty much every citizen of the planet. And so justifiably, it should be like flypaper uh, catching these synchronicities that get glued to its to its story. So, you know, I guess what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's even more interesting when these things just well up from the from the depths and uh, sort of intertwine themselves into these narratives. Uh, and and what, what is at play here, I don't know. I'm with you. I mean, these unintentional, the unintentional symbolism to me is perhaps the most interesting, and it's also the most telling, because if it does appear unintentionally, and, and, I, and I agree with what uh, you guys had said, I mean, obviously, there are some movies where we can tell it's obviously intentional. It's like, okay, so there's that. But then there's, I, I can think of a few examples of movies that I feel very confident these guys did not intend to do it. Uh, they did not intend to put this mythology in there, uh, and yet it still 
surfaces. It's and it's and very profoundly so. So if it can surface into artwork, and I, and I myself, uh, having written fiction stories, can say that looking back on stories I wrote years ago and finding the same, um, if we will, esoteric uh, stories at work, the same mythology that I didn't even I wasn't even aware of at the time. Uh, it's very telling to me that this stuff does surface in almost everything. So that's why when, of course, someone's going to look at a political event or this these these very controversial moments like 9-11 or the Gabriel Gifford shooting and say if they find it they're gonna say obviously this is part of the plan uh, and it's it's possible again like you know it could have been like Hancock where they put it in intentionally but I don't think that needs to be the answer and I and more often than not I think it's not the answer Hey, let me change subjects a little bit. Earlier on, you sort of uh, made a reference to UFOs as well as synchronicities. And I will also say that um, I have been um, talking to a lot of people who have, or who, let's say, who claim the direct contact experience. They claim, you know, what some people might call alien abduction or contact or they might go by the term experiencers. I'm very, very hesitant to try to use a vocabulary word to describe the people I'm talking to. Uh, and one of the questions I ask these folks, and and when I say I've been talking to a lot, I've been like, I mean, I have come in contact with a lot of them through the blog, and then and then I've made an effort to reach out and talk to these folks. One of the questions I ask is, well, you have any synchronicities in your life? And I would say that 100% across the board, all of these people will will say the exact same thing that they are having synchronicities that are out of hand that are over the top that are are are, are so profound you know it seems like each and every one of them is almost thrust into the role of the synchromystic whatever that might mean um and then i brought this up to a friend of mine and she said um which was i thought was very wise on her part she said well anyone on a spiritual path will have a lot of synchronicities and then so that all of us in it was which is true i think so is the UFO abduction experience a spiritual path is kind of what I'm left to to, to contemplate? Mm. Yeah, that's... Uh, I often think of it as being... So it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive, you know, meaning there can be a UFO phenomenon and a spiritual phenomenon. There could be... These could be separate... Uh, experiences and yet they do seem to be two sides of the same coin meaning uh, and, and again I have to be careful here because I don't want to go you know that you have some people who are saying like alien there's this like alien demon thing that gets passed around yep that, yep it sure you know? does yeah so I I, I don't I don't want to weed people into that territory but to say that um, okay if what we're doing is we're unlocking sort of uh, maybe it's genetic memory or some sort of tapping into an Akashic record, whatever phraseology suits you and your experiences, plug it in there. You know what I mean? It's like so, if you're if you're expanding your consciousness, if you're uh, tapping into symbol sets and and understandings through studying mythology and symbology, whatever it is that initiates you onto this path, so we might consider this a spiritual path, 
uh, I think ultimately, based on your context, your life context and your life experiences, you're going to experience it in a way that even if it doesn't completely make sense to you, at least sort of makes sense to you. In that uh, if you are science-oriented, you might experience it as a nuts-and-bolts UFO. If you're someone that's uh, cosmic consciousness-oriented, you might experience it as contact with a higher-dimensional being or a spirit creature. If you're someone uh, old-world family, you might experience it as a fairy or a puka or something like that. Or the Virgin Uh, Mary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I'm very open to that. I, and again, this doesn't mean that they ha- they. Uh, I'm not trying to say there's only one phenomenon and and all these others are just interpretations of it. I think there is room for separate events. Uh, and you know, obviously, just look at the the life the life on this planet. There are frogs and cats and dogs and people. So there are different. Uh, you know, we are different aspects of the same thing. So maybe, you know, we can classify this group as mammals or whatever. So uh, maybe this is a a sloppy way of of (laughs) stating this, but to say that there can be separate phenomenon, but I'm also very open to this idea that these are, again, highly personal interpretations of what's essentially the same thing. I talked to a woman who claimed the direct contact experience and she has all kinds of, I mean, she's, you know, synchronicities and she's channeling and she has, um, you know, literally speaking in tongues and, and, uh, and her take on it, which was as good as anything I heard is like, she basically said, you know, once you're opened to this stuff, you're open to everything. So mm-hmm. once the door opens up, like, you know, everything seems to rush in and, and the thought is, I guess, that the the sh- shamanic initiation that that can be uh, parallel to the alien abduction experience uh, opens one up, and and then just stuff starts rushing in, and then synchronicities are you know might fit through that sieve the cleanest, and be one of the first things and the most powerful things to rush through, or the most ever present. Let, let me put it that way. Yeah, abso- absolutely. So I've, in in my life, I've experienced both um, psychedelic experiences uh, as well as what what certainly seemed like some sort of contact experience, um, and they were highly similar. Uh, in a lot of ways, but, all right, so I had, you know, my, my psychedelic experiences were earlier on, uh, so suffice to say that I feel like if this were a completely, if this were exactly the same thing, it would not have presented itself to me, um, all right, so let me, let me just tell you, I don't really talk about this often, basically because of the, when I first mentioned it, the initial response that I got, but, uh, I had, uh, in 2010, uh, it was March, March 17th, 2010, which is a very special date, mind you, um, 
the, that week prior, I kept having these experiences where every night I would have a dream where there was one night I had a dream where in my, uh, if you could imagine sort of like my front right lobe, right under my forehead on the right side, I had this dream where there was this large bump, almost like a, like a pimple or a boil or something. And throughout the dream, I'm trying to figure out what is in there. There's something in there. And it's some very disgusting moment in the dream. This thing splits open, and I find this like microchip inside. And it was like a radio, radio receiver. And in the dream, I'm like someone's beaming something into my brain, you know. And this was and a repeating dream. This happened more than once. If, for a week straight, but each night with a different uh, spin on it. So I said the first night was this radio receiver there, and I believe the following night was. Um, a that I had this sort of like almost like out of body waking dream. There is in my apartment. Um, there's a satellite dish that's not connected to anything. It was from the previous tenants. That's pretty close to the window I sleep by. And in this dream, I I sort of kind of wake up, but I'm still sleeping. And I'm looking at the satellite dish, and I realize there's some space transmission coming into the satellite dish and is like being funneled into my head and again I'm I'm focusing on this right front lobe and um so that's that was the second night and then another night there was something where uh <laughs> like a really bizarre one where um oh no that was two days later so that, then the next night was uh, a similar type thing where it, it it appeared to it so to me it was an experience as getting direct contact, and I, I, I want to get into this a little deeper because I, I know this is a very loaded thing to say, but I didn't know it at the time, which is really important. I want to stress it. So I, the third night was this experience of getting a, a what I only I can consider is a sort of like telepathic transmission from Sirius, specifically. Sirius specifically? Yes, which I, I want to talk about because it's I know there's either some people rolling their eyes or some people going through jaws are going. So I, did, we want, we, I want to go to that specifically. But the fourth night was the kind of funny, bizarre one where uh, there's this sort of almost vapor, <laughs> like this light, almost spiritual um, thing where there's these beings stepping out of this light through these clouds. And I see David Bowie... <laughs> And he's uh, our, as a representative of the Golden Dawn, and he says, uh, he offers me magical powers and says, you know, this is what you've been experiencing and we can teach you how to access this. So that, that, and that was a funny one to me. Maybe it shouldn't be that funny, but it was pretty funny to me. So the next day is, Mar oh, so basically, I, 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 the next day I wake up, it's March 17th. Uh, which, of course, now that we've got to mention Sirius, we can figure out March 17th is the date of Osiris's death, very connected into the Sirius mystery. Um, I am in a store. I just told the story recently. I was in a store, and uh, so, oh, sorry, that morning I woke up, and I, it's just the dreams kept piling up, and I said sort of out loud, like, all right, if you can show me something, show, like, prove it to me. And uh, so that day I went to a store. Did you store. say that out loud or did you say it? Yeah. Okay, great. That's just something I just think that's very interesting when you speak something out loud, a thought you have. I think it has a lot more resonance. I, I agree. I agree. And um, I, uh, 
uh, so I, I, I end up in the store, and this was not my intention of what to do, but I just end up in the store, and there's a lotto machine there. And I happen to just look, glance at the lotto machine, and these numbers just pop into my head. And the numbers are significant also because, um, so I had been somewhat familiar, just to backtrack, the serious thing. At that time, I knew very little about the serious mystery. It was not that, um, what I, little I knew of it was sort of uh, from piecing together little bits and like sort of hints that Christopher Knowles had suggested this idea that there's a 17 mystery. I hadn't really explored it at that point. I was obviously much more interested after. Um, and this number 88, which I had been thinking about for a few days and uh, different meanings of the number 88. So I'm just sort of standing at this kind of look at the, the lotto machine and this number 1788 just pops into my head like clear as day. And here so in New what York. number came through? 1788. And I have I have a photo of the lottery ticket, and I could link to the results if anyone doubts me. It's not you know. Uh, so anyway, um, I uh, I look at this lottery machine. The number pops into my head, and I reach into my pocket. And the funny thing is, like I had like a dollar. I uh, and there's here in New York, we have a four-digit lottery, and uh, you could play like a fifty-cent game. And I just said, okay, give me fifty cents on uh, seventeen eighty-eight. And the guy's like, you know. It was one minute before the lottery ended, uh, so I think it was something like 7.40 p.m. or I, I don't remember the time exactly, but the po point is, it was like a minute before the lottery ended and then the results come out like 10 minutes later. So it, it was like, just got the ticket and then the lottery ended for the night. So I stuck around 10 minutes because I just felt so sure. 10 minutes passed, the results come up, and the guy says, Holy shit, you won. And I was like, how much did I win? He's like, $2,500. So I said, okay, this is legitimate. The next day, mind you, so the, <laughs> this, is, this is what gets interesting. The next day, I meet this guy on the street. He, there's this really old man um, who's wearing this um, Masonic Lodge jacket, this like, uh, like, kind of like running jacket bright blue with this like golden compass and square on it. It's like the most gaudy thing you've ever seen. And uh, I had spoken to the man just in passing a few times on the street before. I was kind of friendly with him. And I uh, just, you know, I just chat with people on the street sometimes. And um, I said to him, oh, I didn't know you were a Mason. And he's like, oh, are you kidding? I'm a, I've been a 33rd degree for this many years and I'm head of the Eastern Star in my district and all this sort of stuff. And uh, He's like, he looks at me like in the eye and he goes, you know, I, I'll get you in. I'll get you in. And if you know that Mason, it's not really how it's supposed to go. But, you know, just to, you know, to be one, ask one. But whatever. So he's like, you know, I'll, I'll get you in. And uh, it's like, oh, you think I should join? And the man like grabs me and he looks at me and he goes, no, I know you should join. And I'm like, I'll think about that. And at the time I was still very unsure how I felt about masonry and all this sort of stuff. And, and to this day, I... So, long story short, I said no. I, I decided not to. And ultimately, it's not because I think Masons are evil, but I just the idea of being initiated, I'm more of a direct gnosis. I don't think there needs to be any institution between you and higher knowledge. So, it's not that I think Masons are evil or anything like that. I just, the idea of being initiated into something and having someone else tell me what they think it means did not appeal to me. 
Uh, so with that being said, I told one person this story, and the guy said, you know, and I mentioned the whole serious thing is how it, it that's the one that sort of stuck out the strongest to me. And he said, oh, you mean like Robert Anton Wilson? Now, I didn't even know who Robert Anton Wilson was. To be completely honest, I had no idea. Um, and then as I looked into it, I found there was all other people who had claimed similar experiences. And I actually wish that the person who had sort of brushed me off or made it sound like I was making this up to have a similar, you know, like, oh, you're saying you're like this person. I wish they hadn't done that because they actually turned me off and for like almost a full year, I didn't want to look into any more of these guys work because I wanted to process it for myself. Uh, maybe that was beneficial, but at the same time, um, I was a you know just a. There's so many things that come with it. You know, you, you're afraid of coming across as crazy to normal people, and to anybody who is knowledgeable, it sounds like you're a sham. So, but I can tell you, this was incredibly profound, legitimate experience, and the lottery ticket was the sort of culmination of it. But bear in mind, so the next day, the, the guy with the, the Masonic Lodge, I said no, and the dream stopped. I don't think there's necessarily has to be a direct connection there. I don't think the Masons initiated this, but I think there was something to the idea of me saying, no, I don't want this, or I want to figure it out on my own. I think there was something to me sort of putting that out into the universe that made it a stopped being a direct contact and more of just a building through synchronicities and figuring it out for myself. I, I, that's how I interpret it, personally. I also think that it's very possible that uh, this was started by the fact that I am starting to pay attention to symbols and synchronicity and that I just unlocked a sort of, as you put it, a door into perhaps the collective unconscious or whatever newosphere or anything like that and that I just interpreted it that way and the, fact that the dream there were different dreams although the serious one was the most specifically profound for me um, uh, I'm open to the idea at this point that it doesn't have to be contact with serious it could have just been a way I interpreted contacting a, uh, a higher collection of, of of information or or something like that. Huh, fascinating. Um the uh yeah, this is this is this is fascinating. Now here I got a bunch of questions. How did this tie into the uh the synchronicity book? The sync book? Uh this I mean I was tempted I actually it's funny. I had actually started to write about that experience as a uh, part of the chapter I wrote for the sync book, and I took it out um, for for a number of reasons. I wanted to sort of just it's that idea before of like just trying to focus. And I also for me the sync book was to a certain extent something that I I didn't want to go off on too many tangents. Uh, obviously the different chapters do, but within my chapter I wanted to address specifically one subject um, or, or or try and focus as much as possible onto the idea of personal. Um, things that I had noticed within my artistic work and so on. So um, I, I, I cut that part out of it. But as far as it certainly sped up my interest in in symbolism, in synchronicity, and it uh, 
definitely increased the after that period, I mean, uh, my synchronicities certainly, or, or my, and certainly my attention to them, skyrocketed. Oh, and was I would, I would think of nothing less. Yeah. So, so, so that that event came first. The that event came first. Yeah, and I mean, then, at least a year earlier. And uh, I mean, if if there's a connection between that event and the sync book, it would only be that I have been so profoundly interested in this subject since then that. Uh, I just want to get this information out there and have conversations like this out there so that people can, so we can talk about this and figure out what's, what to make of it, what's going on. So the idea that I would be doing a sync book is just, I'm passionate about it. I've had personal experiences that are profoundly life-shaking and I want to talk about it and, and, and get people's other thoughts and stuff like that, so... Now, um, here, let me just, I'm just going to comment here. So, so you telepathic communication from Sirius. Now, this is very interesting because, yes, Robert Anton Wilson did say that. And uh, as well as uh, Philip K. Dick said the same thing, that he was getting communication from Sirius. Timothy Leary said he was getting communication from Sirius. And Doris Lessing, who is a, she's a science fiction writer. And all of them said that this happened in 1974. Um, for each one of them, they each and they didn't. They were sort of writing about it personally in their own diaries and stuff, and it didn't come out till years later. Till they all sort of realized, like, hey, wait a minute, that was 1974. And there's another author, John Lilly, who claimed to have had contact from other worlds, and he was part of that uh, Harvard LSD um, mm. psychedelic uh, troop um, from the from the very early 60s. And but he did not say it was from Sirius. He just said that he was getting. Uh, uh, information from uh that was being telepathically communicated to him um from uh, john sorry john Louie uh was more focused on ketamine uh specifically as a substance and that was that was the echo right ecco yes uh, i've seen some interviews with john like i said I, I wish that at the time at the time this happened you know i would have been reading Philip K. Dick all this time. I would have been researching this, but it's sort of, uh, as I said, the reaction I got from telling somebody who I thought might have some insight into this was led me to not do this. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, in that respect, I'm just now at a point where I can start diving into some of this stuff, and I appreciate your information because I, I kind of avoided researching specifically that connection just be, because of that, but um, yeah, it's a very. It's, I mean, that 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 the the intensity of the story you just told would make it. I think uh, you know it would be too hot to you know look into. I think that would, and I know exactly what that feels like because I've experienced similar stuff where it felt like oh you know like oh shit this is like just too hot and I can't go there. It's just it's too intense. Ab abs absolutely. Can I can I give you one uh, other little thing? I mean. Um, this, at the end of 2010, there was, uh, in December, there was a, an eclipse. And it's the only other time, like I said, I'm not really into, uh, I don't focus on alien uh, or UFO stuff uh, much in my work. I really, uh, just, it's just sort of not what calls to me. But I do have a, a, an interest in it. But uh, on the eclipse of 2000, at the, in December 2010, 
was the only other time that I remember specifically, I don't remember what it was, why I was thinking something about alien contact, but I was out on my roof looking at the eclipse and I was taking some photos just because the moon was positioned over a neighbor's chimney and it looked like something that I had been talking with with the sinkhole guys. It was just like a, a sink picture I wanted to take. And, uh, but as I was looking up at the sky, I, I again sort of said out loud, I felt sort of like a presence, and I was just like, well, if you're there, show yourself. Um, you know, I'm, I'm friendly, <laughs> you know. Uh, and I didn't have any kind of um, experience mentally that, that was, was profound, but uh, I noticed in a photograph later something that I really couldn't explain. It looked like a, a metal disc streaking across the sky with like a rainbow behind it. And I, I have the photo for anybody who's, who's interested in these sort of subjects, anyone who knows anything about photo, um, uh, I don't know, enhancement or something like that. Uh, I'm totally open to any, and if someone wants to tell me, no, that's a, something I'm wrong, cool. But uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting photograph. Huh, I would love to see it. Yeah, that would be, I would include it on the show notes here. Yeah, just go ahead and send it to me. Um, oh, this is so fascinating. This is so fascinating that they, that there was like a, oh, I just think, and you, you said you listened to it, but the month of October 2009, I did a, a audio podcast thing where it was just me talking into the, to the microphone, um, trying to explain how freaking weird that month was for me. And, and this sounds very similar to that to, to that experience where like I was like pretty overwhelmed like it was not easy um, mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. dealing with that um it's also interesting that you saw David Bowie because in this lore you know there's like all these whisperings where like is David Bowie an, an abductee and <laughs> and some people are like oh yeah he obviously is and some people are like oh well he certainly plays it up you know he's that's sort of his mystique in a way and um and then also David Bowie and David Bowman isn't you know mm-hmm. you don't have to go very far to blend those two together so oh. That's why I said the, the David Bowie thing is sort of, it's profound on one level and also highly comical. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it is it is a little corny to have like you know the one actor who who camps it up as, you know, or actor persona, however you want to call him. Um, you know that that kind of uh, he was very very supposedly in the seventies. Uh, he would go on tour and he would have like a a whole separate. Uh, van follow the bus and that van was filled with ufo books ufo and occult books and um you know so you know whatever that might mean whether that's true or just an apocryphal tale that's you know got sort of handed down so one of the things that um strikes me about the synchronicities is obviously and you just you just shared a bunch that are so deeply personal like they they were designed for you and to tell the story you just told i mean it took you know, 10 minutes to, to tell it correctly. Um, so these little synchronicities, you, you know, they're almost in a way like a dream where they seem to have their own power. Uh, you know, sharing those those dreams or sharing a synchronicity is oftentimes impossible because no one can be in your shoes and sort of understand the, the intensity and the, and, the, and the resonance of those things. And that's one of the things I'm struck by is just how deeply personal these things are in and, and um let me share one story with you and i've shared this a couple of times on the blog um and it was one of my very first uh postings this would have been i think 2007 and i was um 
uh, I work doing outdoor stuff and um, I'm very susceptible not so much to getting sunburn but to having almost like an allergic reaction to sunblock. So I asked around and, and a couple people said, oh, Neutrogena 45, that's a sunblock you should have. Uh, you know, so I said, uh, you know, great. So I like, went to look at it. A couple people had said it. I, so I figured I'd take them up on that. So I got back to my little hometown and there's a small little uh, health food store and I peeked around there. They did not have it. I went next door to the small little locally owned drug store and, and they didn't have Neutrogena 45 either. And as I was driving home, I was going to pull into the giant grocery store. And for some reason, I just didn't have it in me. It's just a big big giant store and it always gives me the creeps to be in there so I just didn't do it I just I just kept going straight down the highway and and on the way home I realized that it was that weekend where they do the roadside cleanup and so people that had these you know, garbage bags along the roadside and and that people were filling them up with the trash that gets um, that they'll just collect along the highway so I figured well heck I do that every once in a while I always feel good about doing it so I got home and I walked into the barn and I grabbed a couple garbage bags and I stuffed them in my pocket and I w started walking along the highway and I said, well, I, what I'll do is I'll walk from my house to the stop sign up there, which is exactly a half a mile away. I'll cross the highway and then come back to my house again. So I'll do collectively a full mile, you know, half mile on each side of the highway. This was in April. And where I live, April can be kind of cold and rainy and crummy. And so as I started, all of a sudden it started to rain. I was like, oh, you know, now I'm wet. And then that rain turned to kind of like ugly gray, sleety snow. And I was like, oh, I should turn around and just go back. And it's like, nope. I said I was going to go all the way to that stop sign. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go all the way to the stop sign. So, um, and it was pretty gross. I mean, picking up people's old cigarette butts and, you know, stuff that had been spent the winter under the snow and stuff. So I get to the stop sign and I am not exaggerating there was a bottle of Neutrogena 45 leaning up against the stop sign as if it was on a little display rack. Uh, so th uh, this, the, the profound synchronicity was like a slap in the face. I could not deny what I had just experienced. If I had turned around before getting to the stop sign, I never would have found it. Um, and uh, my, so there was at that chapter of my life, 0607 you know i had sort of reached a tipping point where i realized i had to look into these weird ufo experiences and i couldn't deny them and and this is going to sound out of place but this is the truth and I, and i don't know if i actually wrote this when i wrote this out in the blog uh, when i shared this story but what happened when i saw that bottle of neutrogena 45 leaning against a signpost um I literally sort of exclaimed in my own head, it's them. Mm. And the implication was it is them, whatever you want to call them, the ETs, the parallel interdimensional, you know, whatever. The, the, it was somehow it was them that had orchestrated that event. And that thought came to me so clearly that, I, that, I, that to dismiss it outright would be unfair to the experience. So, like, here's the synchronicity. Didn't have anything to do with aliens. Didn't have anything to do with flying saucers. Didn't have anything to do with missing time or anything. All it had to do was was just this profound sort of sort of jolt in my own psyche, and and more than anything, that event um, put me on this path. I, at the time, I was 44. I was just about to turn 45. I would be turning 45 in a few months. So here's this thing that says stop, a signpost that says stop, and then is listed as 45 you know like it was it felt like i was i had a few months to really decide how i was going to go down this path mm -hmm. um so that would be 
the very first event that like it felt like there was no turning back correct yeah absolutely absolutely and it's the sort of thing where you you almost have to take that leap of faith and not to put it in a spiritual terms but it literally is like well so this is a message it's clearly a message the fact that it's winding it's a signpost just makes it even you know it's a sign okay here is a sign from wherever and you you're you're left with the choice of do i ignore it do or do i am i fearful of it do i say this is i don't trust this thing i'm going to go uh, i'm going to avoid this or do you take that leap of faith and go no i'm going to follow this and it, if nothing else to see where it leads um and and, and, that, and i'll say right now like this conversation this blog um you know the path i'm on uh what I said earlier that I'm going to follow these synchronicities as a as a signposts or as a compass, um, you know I'm on it. I mean this this what we're talking about right now is 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 part of this whole big tapestry. Oh, absolutely. And I, I, same here. I mean I wouldn't be. I don't know if if it weren't for all this stuff, I don't know where I would be. Um, but this seems like it just seems like where what I, I need to be focusing on right now. And I, uh, I do feel that I'm in a, uh, and certainly recently I feel more and more that I'm in a sort of unique position to try and bring this out a little bit more. And, uh, you know, I hope people realize this is not, for me, this is not, uh, you know, this is not a career. It's obviously not, I think you and I understand, Joe, this is not a good career move. Unless you want to crush <laughs> the career, I think. Right. So. You know, so this is not like a financial decision. Uh, if it is, it's a very poor one. Um, no, this is this is like a life calling, um, and that's the only way I can put it. And it makes sense to me, and uh, and I, I feel the need to to do this. Like uh, I just feel absolutely drawn to do this. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I'm just trying to think of what else we could say as far as like it like an interview format, like, uh, man, let, like, yeah, this is, I think we're both in agreement. Like whatever's going on. And I've talked to other people who've experienced the same thing. Um, you know, we're all talking the same language. We're all having experiences that are tailored to us. And it is, it is, uh, you know, I don't want to say kicking us in the pants. I was slapping us with the funny little, uh, uh, Zen master slapping stick, you know, that they, that they hit you with in the monastery. Um, uh, you know these these Zen koans are being performed for our, for us and us alone. You know these deeply personal experiences are are uh, the, there's something seductive about a mystery, and the mystery is dragging me. I, I'm just speaking for myself here. Is dragging me, you know, further on the path. I, I had a, uh, I was very much listening to audio conversations with Joseph Campbell for a while. Um, right at the time of this whole thing with the uh, with that event with the sunblock on the side of the highway, and um, one of the things that he said, which very much I have taken to heart, is when the Knights of the Round Table, you know, they've realized they needed to to like go on their quest, and to do so, they each individually went to the darkest part of the forest, and and walked where there was no path. And, and that metaphor is, I feel like that's what I'm doing. It feels like I have stepped off the main path. I'm in the dark part of the forest. And, and the, the implication is you can't have a, an adventure, like an adventure in the truest sense, if you're on the path. 
in order for the adventure to have any meaning, you have to step off the path and, you know, in essence, jump off the cliff. You know, you have to abandon yourself to these, to these synchronicities. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. I, uh, I could take that. Uh, I want to run with that, but I just, uh, I didn't want something you said to be lost in there. You said these experiences were tailored to our experience and it made me, it just sort of clicked in my head the idea of uh, Charlton Heston as Taylor, Christina Taylor Green, and even Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra, if we want to go with that, it's sort of Egyptian mm, uh, alien uh, commonality or whatever it is, but certainly that John Louis' um, Earth Coincidence, what is it, uh, Coordination Office, or whatever uh, it stood for, this idea that there seems to be tailors, so, you know, this, these machine elves or whatever you want to refer to them as, that seem to be uh, assisting us and creating this along with us. That, that I just didn't want that to get lost in there because I thought that, that, that was interesting. But your idea of almost, to me, I seem to think of this as like a, you know, a, a mama bird, you know, she has to push her, her, her young birds out of the nest in order to get them to fly. And sometimes these really profound experiences, I mean, I told you that story, like I'm still shaking from just retelling this story. It's something to kick you in the ass and push you out of the nest or, or into this dark forest or off this cliff, almost how the, the shaman needs to, you know, jump off the cliff to fly. Um, something like this, this is where we need to take that almost leap of faith and say, all right, I'm, I'm devoting myself to this. And uh, it's these experiences that certainly kick us out of the nest and get us to, you know, are we, are we going to fall to the ground or are we going to go with it? Are we going to and see how far we can take it? And um, ultimately, I have a question for you. You know, you mentioned this idea of there's the adventure is where there is no path. But I, I know I feel, and maybe this is a bad, you know, in, in those terms, this could be a negative thing, but... I feel like the path is becoming clearer. Are we making our own path? Is there a? Is this just a path? Uh, excuse me, a path less traveled, or do we need to continue to get off the path? Do you have a? Oh, I you know I mean these metaphors are so subtle, and when I you know as far as like the uh, oh the act of stepping off the path. I, I feel like what you and I are doing is stepping off a well-trodden path. Let me put it that way, where like it seems like I could very much, um, you know, call a bunch of ad agencies in New York and do you know illustrations for dishwashing liquid mm-hmm. and pay off my credit card debt, you know. Uh, but I'm not doing that, you know. Like I'm I'm devoting myself to this curious and compulsive and seductive uh, line of inquiry that involves owls and synchronicities and UFOs and it's you know those topics are so deeply personal to me that I'm invested uh, you know I might meet folks along the way in the forest and there might be clearings and meadows that I can that I can travel in that forest that might be easier than it sometimes it feels like I'm stuck in the underbrush and the brambles and I'm being clawed at by you know the very thing that I'm trying to pass through but um, you know occasionally and I will include this conversation occasionally I get to like this magical meadow where it just seems like I'm coasting and uh, you know something genuinely magical happens and Mm. I would never have found that meadow unless I stepped off the path Mm, beautiful yeah yeah that's beautiful I think the true, you know, there's a, 
there are so many treasures waiting for us here that it, and you know, this is maybe what makes it so part of what makes it so seductive is if, if we stayed on that main path, you're never you're never going to find that. And uh, this is so not only are the, the the experiences tailored for us, but I think the treasures are, you know, they're, they're maybe they're there for anybody willing to take the journey. Yeah, very much so. Hey, um, you're are you working on a graphic novel? Uh, I am. Yeah, uh, I sort of put it a little bit on hold to do the sync book when the it demanded it demanded a, uh, a lot more attention than I originally thought it would when I sent out that email. And I, you know, my thing was everyone's a, a blog writer. It was like, hey, what if everyone wrote like three thousand words and we just you know collected it? <laughs> I don't know. I just thought <laughs> maybe it was really naive, but I just thought, okay, well, we could just do that. But it actually demanded a tremendous amount of work, and I, um, I so I put that uh, somewhat on hold. But yeah, I am I am working on a graphic novel, and I have uh, I'm talking to two other uh, illustrators about starting uh, other projects in the same line. I have a real passion for. I, think, I don't really even read comics anymore. Um, and I just whenever I do, I'm sort of disappointed. Same with movies. Oh god, yeah, it's hard for me to watch movies these days. That's why. Yeah. I, that's why I watched uh, Planet of the Apes the other night. I just want like, okay, I want to just see a good movie. I don't want to like be disappointed like I am with everything. <laughs> right, exactly. So, artistically, I know you need to at least be aware of what's going on and stuff like that, and you know, get all that. But uh, for me, I just want to. I'm sort of. I want to sit in a quiet room and create, and I don't want to. So, so for me, it's uh, I'm really in this mood where a lot of this has reignited the flame in me to to just be creative, and just uh, I really enjoy talking about all these nonfiction uh, topics, and they obviously fascinate me like crazy. But there's another part of me that within that, this burning desire to to create is also reignited along with this. So. Uh, um, uh, that's that's definitely a big part of where I'm where I'm at. Yeah, I, I started a graphic novel myself recently, and and um, I'm sort of uh, uh, overwhelmed by it at this you know right in the present. I've got a couple projects on my desk that are that I need to finish up before I can jump back into it. But um, so yeah, and the in the the graphic novel is about UFOs, owls, and synchronicities. Let me put it that way. Awesome. Um, and uh, hey, let, let's just talk about the book for a little bit. First of all, let me just praise the whoever did the cover of the book. I got I would love to, you know, shake his hand. It's really beautiful in the sense that um, we live in a world where everyone's got a computer, and a lot of book covers look really lame. And <laughs> and I'm really impressed with how how tidy and and, and slick and inviting this book looks. Uh, that the man whose hand you want to shake is Justin Gray Morgan. Uh, I have shaken his hand, and it's uh, well-deserved. The uh, genius uh, artist, and um, I'm, can, can I just say, this was I mean, even a synchronicity in itself, is this guy is a graphic designer who found my web, found my blog by doing one of those Google image searches, whatever he was looking for, and he pulled up this image, and it was, of course, uh, came from my blog. And he starts reading this blog post that I had done, uh, oh, almost, at this point, it's probably a year ago or more. And he said, it was so 
explicitly describing what was happening in his life at that moment and the, the, the events happening around him, that he started looking around the room trying to figure out if it was a prank. And uh, so this was this major synchronicity that he found this blog and it, uh, this particular post was describing his moment uh, that he contacted me and he told me this story and uh, so we got to talking and um, it was just, you know, on friendly terms at first of just like, oh, hey, you know, it's uh, really cool and we just, you know, opened it up to a little bit of a conversation and he had signed his thing with a, a link to his website and I saw he was an artist, I saw his amazing artwork. And it was not, I don't know, not very long after that, this whole sync book thing was happening and I, I guess I, I don't know how I, I put, how I mentioned it or, or whatever it was and he said to me, well if you're going to do a, the book, would you mind if I did the cover? Which is the greatest honor that he would ask and and so humbly at that, I'm humbled by the fact that he, you know, that he asked that way, and um, it just makes this all the more beautiful. That this was for all of us was really a labor of love, and he was so interested in the topic and so passionate about it, and was a huge help. Not only did he do the cover, I know you don't have a copy of the book. I, I sent you an email. If you give me your uh, a mailing address, oh, yeah, I'll yeah. I'll send you a book. So not only did he do the cover, but he designed each chapter within the book has uh, an icon at the front of it that he designed, as well as in the final chapter, he designed uh, tarot cards, custom t tarot cards um, that are just incredible. They're, they're uh, pencil illustrations that will blow you away. Oh, this sounds great. Yeah. So... Uh, Huge thanks to Justin, and I. Uh, I also, um, I want to thank uh, that the tarot cards come from a chapter written by Jason Barrera, uh, who writes for Cosmos Idicos. I want to give a thanks to him. Um, he also was a huge help to me in putting this book together, and um, like I said, this for all. I think I can speak for all of us. This was a labor of love. Obviously, we're not. Again, this is not a. We're, we're not living off this. This is not a financial thing, but it's, it's a, truly a labor of love, and I'm really happy that it's people have been responding well to it, it's speaking to people, and that it came together so beautifully. And uh, it was a ton more work but, uh, than, than I expected, when, but, but also I, I had very, little, very low expectations. <laughs> I don't know, to begin with, when I first was like, oh, let's just do this. But it, it really developed. And I saw the potential for it, and we all devoted ourselves to it. And um, I think the result speaks for itself. I'm, I'm really happy, uh, really, really happy. And uh, I, I think you've got to give those guys a lot of credit, too. Justin and Jason, give them a lot of credit, too. Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, uh, a symposium of some sort of, some sort of conference within the last couple of years. And, and I was just before we started talking to you, I tried to figure out where it was and I was trying to search it out on the internet. I wanted to um, interview the, one of the women that was, you know, was uh, helping create this conference. And it was at a, I think it was at Yale or Harvard. It was some East coast college. And um, there was a bunch of, uh, Oh, you know, very highly credentialed, um, you know, professors of, of, uh, psychiatry and metaphysics and such that we're, we're talking and um, there's a YouTube video on it and I gotta say it was freaking 
boring. These guys were so wrapped up in their in their sort of self-aggrandizing, uh, smug academic speak that that I just it didn't it wasn't engaging at all. And as silly as it sounds, I feel like I get more out of um, you know these sort of. Uh, young synchromistic remixing you know this sort of uh, beat poetry of, of these things and i think steve wilner is like takes the cake as far as as far as uh you know almost sounding like a <laughs> like a mystic orator or something like that when he goes off and uh and i really dig that i think that there's there, there's something um you know like I, I seem to gain much more from you know i'm familiar with a goodly amount of the folks on your list there and i get more out of them than what I sensed was being presented at this symposium on synchronicities with a bunch of folks in, you know, tweed blazers and, and gray hair. Yeah, because, you know, it's like we were saying before, the guy who's studying comparative mythology and he's just dryly saying, oh, this. And, you know, you have that sort of like Joseph Campbell-type figure who, you know, obviously seems like a, you know, a, a smart guy and a well-intentioned guy and he probably gains a lot of personal insight out of what he's doing. Um, I don't. I don't want to, you know, uh, talk down on, on, on Joseph Campbell particularly, but just to say, like that, you, you can see that, like someone who's doing, uh, say, the person at your, the symposium you saw, they obviously are have studied this and they must be passionate about passionate enough about it that they're researching it. But you have to wonder, like, are they experiencing it? You know, are, are they? I feel like if they were, maybe this is a, a youthful. I don't, know, I don't feel that youthful anymore, but uh, you know, maybe this is a somewhat youthful um, uh, perspective. But I feel like if you were really experiencing the connection with the universe, you you probably wouldn't be holed up in a university in a tweed blazer. Yeah, well, it's it, you know, yeah, I agree. I know exactly what you're saying. So yeah, so this this there's this, there's a sort of hip quality to this book that that I guess I, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it feels like it's prescient. It feels like it's right now, you know, and, and what those guys were delivering seemed like a, a little bit stuffy. And, and so whatever's going on in the sections that I have read and just knowing the folks you've interviewed, excuse me, the folks that have contributed, you know, if anything, it ain't stuffy. Oh, absolutely. And, and can I, I just wanted to address, you know, the idea of the academic real, real quick is to say that, um, you know, I think there is a tendency we want, uh, I, I address this, uh, I don't know, so, uh, you know, Christopher Knowles uh, has brought up the idea that uh, we should be uh, very professional in how we're presenting this sort of stuff, and I, I agree with that, I, you know, this idea of you don't want to invite undue criticism or skepticism, you don't want someone to be able to brush you off, and, and I, I respect that opinion uh, very much, but at the same time, I also think that we need to hear from people who aren't academic because it's so personal, because uh, there's, for me, you don't need, again, you don't need anybody interfacing with the universe. You don't need anybody in between you and the universe. It's just you can directly interface with it. So some guy who doesn't really have a, an education background, you know, he's not in a university, he's not the brightest guy, that's okay because he can still come up with amazing gems that you are going to find so valuable, um, it's the ideas that matter. You know, not obviously we all want to read something that's well written, and we, uh, you know, blah blah blah. We want it, we want it nice and tidy, and we we want to enjoy what we're doing. But the ideas also are what we're really after, right? So, um, 
I think this idea of reaching outside of academia, the idea that let's see what a lot of us are, are essentially common people, you know, what, what, what do we have to say? Because modern science and academia is not really giving us any answers. Uh, I think we have the answers. So yeah, yeah, if there's yeah. any to be found. So. Yeah, and, and I just think of, of um, yeah. oh, well, I, I agree completely. I was going to try to try to go on there a little bit, but I agree completely. Um, hey, this has been a delightful um, couple hours. Oh, same here. Same here. Thank you so much for this, Mike. Yeah, great. And, and um, yeah, we should do it again sometime, and, uh, and I'll keep you updated. And, um, yeah, this has been great, and I very much look forward to holding the book in my hand. Oh, so good. If you could give a link to the uh, authors list on the syncbook.com because I want to, you know, uh, open that up to the other authors as well. So. Great, great. I'll just make sure to, to put a link on the, on the uh, show notes for all that. Okay, wonderful. Great. Thanks again. This went, this was just great. This turned out so much better than I expected. So. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Have a great day, okay? Bye now. Uh, this is Mike chiming in at the end here. Hey, I just re-listened to this entire interview before posting. I cleaned it up a little bit and edited a few little things out. And I I have to say that I am very deeply impressed at the at the intensity and um sort of the optimistic beauty of what uh we tapped into in this interview. Yeah, really proud of, of both of our roles uh in this conversation. Um seems like we uh it just feels like we um elevated the subject of synchronicity a few notches beyond what would be just uh oh i don't want to say the humdrum idea of coincidence because uh it feels like through both of our experiences we're capable of uh taking it well beyond that yeah i'm not sure what more to add if you've made it this far thank you so much for listening and i sure hope you enjoyed it bye now